Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Mover Late Show on Planet Earth, the John Campus Show podcast. Coming to you from right here in beautiful Southern California. It's great to have you guys here joining us on our podcast feed as we talk about all of our favorite things in the world. Movies, movie news, TV and streaming and all sorts of good things. Not just giving you our opinions, but also giving you information and context so you can have your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different than ours. I'm, of course, your host, John Campy. I'm joined in the studio today with by Ray Ora. Jonathan Voico is here. Chris Carr is not here today. She had a family uh, medical situation come up. Apparently, everything's okay. But she's off taking care of that today. The plan is for her to be back tomorrow. We'll look forward to seeing Chris back here tomorrow. And uh, guys, let's not waste any time and get right into it, shall we? And we're going to start off with this. Okay, so Guardians of the Galaxy 3 comes out at a really interesting time, not just for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but for comic book movies as a whole. Because comic book movies we've seen have been on a bit of a slump. And if you're a Marvel fan in particular, you know, not everybody loved Thor Love and Thunder. Not everybody loved Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And not everybody, including me, didn't really like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And so Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is coming out and kind of represented a really important film for Marvel. Not just because of the slump with their own films and the comic book movie films in general, but also because, you know, it's James Gunn's final movie. That he's doing there. And, and it's taking this franchise that has been a surprise hit for Marvel and bringing it to its conclusion. Now, as the first weekend of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, it, it made about $118 million, I believe, on its opening weekend. $118, $120 million, which was about $12, $13 million more than Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Now, anybody with two brain cells to run that to rub together knows that like a near close $120 million opening, that's a good opening. That, that's a good opening. Many of the members of the Billion Dollar Club have opened with less than $118 million. But the narrative out there was, uh-oh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 didn't make that much more money than Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did. It's going to be a flop. So you take a look at this. You get the things like this on YouTube. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 box office opens on pace with Ant-Man flop for sure. And uh-oh, this can't be good, right? And we tried to tell people. It's like, guys, this is not Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Opening to $118, $120 million is great. And on top of that, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania got miserable critic scores. It was pretty divisive amongst the fans. People didn't like it in general. They weren't going back. Contrary to that, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 had a critic score in the 80s and an audience score in the 90s. This is not going to be the same thing. Well, it wasn't the same thing. Because Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 opened up in theaters in its second weekend and made $60 million in its second weekend, which makes the people at Marvel pretty happy. This comes from the folks at The Hollywood Reporter said this, Marvel movies have suffered larger than usual drops of late, so Guardians 3 is welcome news for Kevin Feige's Marvel Studios. That includes Friday, uh, February, I should say, 2023's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which fell off nearly 70%. In its second weekend, again, because people generally didn't like it and weren't going back to see it multiple times. In only two weeks, Guardians 3 has already rocketed past Quantumania's entire total, global total of $475.8 million. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 has already crossed the $500 million mark as of today. In 10 days, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has made more than Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did in its entire global theatrical run. And at $500 million, Ray, what other movie did it make more money than? Black Adam. That's right. Made more money than Black Adam in 10 days. Guardians of the Galaxy. And more than that, 
it set a record for Marvel in a post-pandemic era for the smallest second weekend drop. And more than that, out of the 30-some-odd Marvel movies, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, out of 30 MCU movies, is now the third smallest second weekend drop ever. Take a look at this. So Black Panther still holds the record for the MCU of a second weekend drop of only 45%. Thor, the first Thor, the one directed by Kenneth Branagh, only dropped 47%. There you see Guardians 3 at 48.9% drop. That makes it the third smallest ever. The original Doctor Strange movie dropped 49%. The first Iron Man movie only dropped 50%. And the original Avengers movie also only dropped 50%. This is a fabulous result if you're Marvel and the MCU and James Gunn. So, John, I have a question yeah. about that uh, thing that you just put up right there. What about uh, comic book fatigue or superhero movie fatigue? What's going on with that? And well, what does that say about that? Yeah. So, like, during this, this whole period of time, right, people have been saying stuff like, well, well, this it's comic book movie fatigue. And what we have been saying for six months is that it isn't comic book movie fatigue. There is no comic book movie fatigue. What we have here is mediocre movie fatigue. People aren't getting tired of comic book movies. They're getting tired of the mediocre movies that we've been getting. Thor Love and Thunder, Black Adam, uh, Shazam 2. I really like Shazam 2, but most people only thought it was a mediocre film. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I mean, that's what people get tired of. It, and I've been saying for a long time, it's not a coincidence that... At this period of time that we're seeing some box office drop is the exact same time that we've seen a quality drop. People are still excited about comic book movies. They just stop being excited when they go to a number of comic book movies in a row that stop being really good and interesting. Again, it's not comic book movie fatigue we've been seeing. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 proves that it is a mediocre fatigue. And when you get a great one like Guardians 3, you see the box office start to rebound. You know what this reminds me of, John? Um... I'm going to put it in action figure terms. Hasbro, sometimes they reuse body molds, right? But give it to a different character. It kind of reminds me of what the MCU has been. Well, in my eyes, it's they're just pumping them out. And you could tell whether love is put into the movie or not. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Okay, I'm not going to say that because that's 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 not right. Like all the people who probably worked on these movies that I didn't enjoy. But that's I, how it's I felt, enjoy. right? Yeah, that's yeah. how it's felt but that's how it felt. It felt like it was like fast and just just bring it out and make money off of it. Kind of like, you know, sometimes with action figures, they use the same body mold, but put on a different head. You know what I mean? Just so a sell. little rinse, copy, so, repeat Yeah, yeah, so it's not unique to the character. So that's what it kind of reminds me of. I, I don't know why my head was there, but uh, maybe I'm just thinking about toys too much. But <laughs> All right, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has kind of set a pandemic or post-pandemic era record for Marvel. It is the third smallest second weekend drop in the history of the MCU films. What does this say to you about the status of the MCU? What does this make you hopeful or not hopeful about the future of DC with James Gunn running it? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to the next thing. You know, the remake of Aladdin uh, was a movie that I didn't quite know how I felt about going into it. I mean, I love the director, Guy Ritchie. Love him. Lockstock, Snatch, uh, The Gentleman. Uh, I mean, and she's got one out with Jake Gyllenhaal right now. I just think he's an incredible filmmaker. But when they announced that he was going to be doing the live-action version of Aladdin, I was like, really? Like, as much as I love him, I didn't know it was a fit. And then you had the star, Mina Masoud, who I had never heard of up until that point. 
And I ended up loving this movie. I mean, it's not as good as the original Robin Williams masterpiece, don't get me wrong, but I ended up absolutely loving this movie. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Maybe the best live action adaptation. No, I'll say it. It is definitely the best live action adaptation that I think they've done. I think I had even put it above um, Cinderella and I love their Cinderella. Kenneth Branagh's directed Cinderella with huh, Lily James. Okay. And the movie was an absolute success. I mean, check this out. The movie opened to $91 million and went on to join the billion dollar club making 1.05 billion at the box office an incredible success now despite that and this insane success billion dollar club movie that they had Mina Masoud has not really appeared in anything else other than some lifetime romance comedy movie on like again the lifetime network or something with one of the girls from Riverdale where she plays a girl who comes back to manage a local hotel and he's the handsome chef. You know what I'm saying? And that's it. Star of a billion dollar film. I don't know why this now. A lot of us thought he might play Ezra in Star Wars, like the live action version of Ezra Bridger from Star Wars Rebels. A lot of us thought he might be it, but apparently he's not. Now, anyway, Mina Massoud was on Twitter. And somebody asked him a question. They asked him on Twitter, hey, how do you think Little Mermaid is going to do? Because, of course, we got Little Mermaid coming out with uh, Haley Bailey is coming. And I think this looks pretty damn good. The first reactions are out sound pretty good. And Mina Massoud said this when asked about how he thinks it'll do. He says, well, our film, talking about Aladdin, was unique in that audiences went to watch it multiple times. It's the only way we reached a billion-dollar mark with our opening. He's being a little bit self-deprecating there because, again, the movie didn't open. Aladdin didn't open to $150 million, $200 million. It, it opened to $91 million. And while it's not a, unheard of for a movie that opens to $91 million or less to make a billion dollars, it's rare. Usually it's movies that open much bigger, usually. So you're saying, hey, the only way our movie was able to make a billion dollars is because people kept going back to see it with an opening like ours. My guess is, he says, The Little Mermaid doesn't cross the billion dollar mark, but will undoubtedly get a sequel. How dare he? How dare he, sir? Good day, sir. With your analytics. <laughs> with your damn analytics. So basically he says, look. Our film didn't have the best opening, but we got to a billion because people just went to keep going to multiple times. Now, I, I don't think Little Mermaid's going to make a billion, but it's undoubtedly going to get a sequel. This is not by any means falling under the definition of slamming Little Mermaid. Guess what? I'm looking forward to Little Mermaid. Ask me. Go ahead, Jonathan. Ask me if I think Little Mermaid's going to make a billion dollars at the box office. Well, okay. In terms of box office, do you think Little Mermaid will hit a billion? No. I do not think it's going to hit uh, a billion. The League of Mermaid Gentlemen are coming for you, sir. <laughs> I, hey, listen. Listen, I hope it does. I, it would be great if it does. It's certainly possible. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. I don't think it'll hit a billion, but guess what? Newsflash. This movie doesn't need to make a billion dollars to be a smash success. This movie makes $650, $700, million. Guess what? That's a win. It doesn't have to be a billion. So meet him out. All he says is, now, I don't think this movie is going to make a billion dollars. But I, I do think it'll undoubtedly get a sequel, right? Well, holy shit. That is not what the Little Mermaid fans wanted to hear because they eviscerated Mina Masoud on social media. So much so that this poor kid 
had to delete his Twitter account. It got so bad. This is just some tastings of the response he gave. Remember, all he said was, hey, do I think it's, somebody asked him, do you think it's going to make a billion dollars? He says, I don't think it'll make a billion dollars, but it'll undoubtedly get a sequel. Look at, look at some of these responses. Your film reached a billion, but you're still jobless. Seems like you got other things to worry about. Somebody else says, Mina Masoud chose violence with his comment about the Little Mermaid's box office. Get a fucking life. Anyway, chose violence with his Little Mermaid box office comment. And now the Little Mermaid stands are coming after him. Also, somebody else put a little bit more thought and said, Mina Masoud, you're pea green with envy because your CGI monster snooze fest of a very bastardized version of Aladdin. Guess what? Your Little Mermaid that's coming out, which I'm excited about, but it's going to be a bastardized version of Little Mermaid too. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Anyway, your snooze fest of a very bastardized Aladdin made a billion dollars, got forgotten. It wasn't forgotten. Uh, and you were never cast in anything meaningful again. Haley Bailey is a true star and the Little Mermaid is about to eclipse everything. Anyway, that's just a sample size of the abuse and vitriol that this kid Mina Masoud for having the audacity when somebody asked him a question, do you think Little Mermaid will make a billion dollars? He's, I, I don't think it'll make a billion dollars, but I think it'll undoubtedly get a sequel. Listen, this is yet another symptom of just how freaking brutal the online film fan world has become. Like we have become so tribal that you are either 100% in our camp or you are the enemy. How dare you say this isn't going to make a billion dollars? I'll tell you what. And, and this this might be a hot take. But the, these people who just decided to completely assault this kid, simply for saying, I don't think it'll make a billion dollars. You are every bit as bad as those racist pieces of crap who went after Kelly Marie Tran or went after John Boyega. You're every bit as toxic and you are every bit as bad. This was uncalled for. And it's just, this type of thing needs to get out of movie fandom. Well, that's what I was thinking is like, where were these people when all these racist idiots were going after her? I, I don't know. Maybe because this guy's a star. Mina Masoud's a star. Now, listen, well, look, if I'm Mina Masoud's PR agent and he comes to me and says, hey, John, do you think I should post? Do you think I should answer this question about whether I think Little Mermaid is going to make a billion dollars? Well, I would say, don't lie and say you think it will, but... Maybe just don't answer that question. I mean, look, was it was it ill-informed to answer the question at all? Maybe, maybe he shouldn't have answered it, but it's really not that big of offense. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about the comments Mina Masoud made about Little Mermaid? I mean, all he said was, I don't think it'd make a billion, but I think it definitely gets a sequel. What do you think about the response this kid has got? What do you think about the tone and temperature of online fandom right now? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below. And let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, let's move on with this. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people 
looking for extra savings this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/campia. That's mintmobile.com/campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/campia. So Fast X is coming. It, it's almost here. We were just at CinemaCon a few weeks ago. And, you know, Vin Diesel comes out on stage and talking about, you know, how great the road has been for the Fast and the Furious franchise. And it has been impressive. And now we're heading into the final stretch of the Fast and the Furious movies. We got Fast X that is coming out here pretty quick. And then we're going to get Fast X Part 2. Now, I don't know if it's going to be called Fast X Part 2 or if it's going to be, you know, Fast XI for 11 or whatever. But we've known for a long time there's going to be two of them. And why would they not be making these Fast and the Furious franchise movies, right? I hear a lot of people, I hear people who keep saying stuff like, oh, they should have ended the Fast and the Furious franchise a while ago. But why would you when you've got a franchise that makes this much money? Take a look at this. Now, this is an order of how much money they made. The Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, which is, to me, the worst of the Fast and the Furious movies, uh, made $157.8 million worldwide. The Fast and the Furious made 206. Too Fast, Too Furious made $236.4 million. Uh, the Fast, Fast and Furious, man, they did terrible naming these movies, by the way. Fast and Furious made $359 million. And then something happened. The Fast and Furious movies welcomed in Franchise Viagra, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and all of a sudden... They jumped up in their box office. Fast Five made $630 million. F9, The Fast Saga, which is, you know, I take it back. Tokyo Drift is not the worst movie in Fast and Furious. It's F9, The Fast Saga was just awful, but it still made $720 million. Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw made $760 million. A spinoff made $760 million. Furious 6 made $789 million. The Fate of the Furious made $1.24 billion. And Furious 7 made $1.51 billion. So, of course, they're still making these movies. But now it's starting to look like they might be pulling a little bit of a Hobbit. Because remember The Hobbit was supposed to be two movies? Remember that? Yep. And then, like, last minute... They come out and announce, guess what? We've decided to turn it into three movies. <laughs> the shortest book got turned into three movies. I mean, I still don't get that. Lord of the Rings, the three books were all huge, and each book got one movie. Hobbit, smallest of the books, gets three movies. Anyway, because now Vin Diesel was recently at an event with Michelle Rodriguez, and they were asked about you know the Fast and Furious, and Vin Diesel has hinted that they might be doing three Fast X movies. Uh, this this comes from an interview that he was doing on the carpet. So Vin Diesel says, without giving away too much, I can say this. Going into making this movie, Fast X, the studio had asked if this could be a two-parter. And after the studio saw part one, this new movie is coming out, they said, could you make Fast X the finale a trilogy? Michelle Rodriguez then said, it's three acts in any story. To which Diesel then said, you probably are getting a trilogy. All right. Okay. 
So Vin Diesel, again, this is not an official thing. Remember, Vin Diesel's just on the red carpet, just got asked a question, and he's uh, maybe he's just spitballing off the top of it. Maybe you will get three movies, or maybe he was being a little bit more serious. Now, look, here's the thing. Do I get, from a business point of view, why they would consider doing it in three parts? Of course. I mean, even Fast 9, which was terrible, still made over $700 million. And you've had a couple in the franchise that are in the billion-dollar club. One of them even made $1.5 billion. I get it. I get why you'd want to consider this. However, as Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. It's great that they're sitting here talking right now about a Fast and the Furious, maybe X Part 3. That's great. But we have not seen how this movie is doing. And listen, right now, the reports coming out right now are that the advanced ticket sales for Fast X are soft, quite soft. So soft that they pulled a Black Adam and announced who's showing up in the post credit scene. Because all the major trades covered this week that Dwayne Johnson is going to be in the post credit scene. That's it. Then Rolling Stone, the rap, TMZ, they're, they're all reporting it. Headline story. It's, it's the cat's out of the bag. It's not a secret anymore. It's public knowledge. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is going to show up. And, and listen, there's a lot of skeptical people like myself who thinks the only reason Universal let them leak that information is because they saw that their advanced ticket sales are soft. So here's the thing. If Fast X comes out and let's say makes under $700 million, which I do not believe it will. Let me be clear. I, I do think Fast 10 is going to make a lot of money. I might be wrong. I mean, I don't know for sure. I haven't seen the movie. Hopefully it's good. But let's say for argument's sake that the movie comes out and it makes under $700 million. This is a pure hypothetical situation. If it does, you can take whatever plans they had for Fast X Part 3 and you can throw those out the window. They will now make sure Fast X Part 2, if they even do Fast X Part 2, which I'm sure they will, uh, they'll make sure that's the end of the thing. So yeah, again, it's Vin Diesel sitting here suggesting maybe they do Fast X in three parts and maybe they do. Listen, just like I said, if Fast X makes under like $700 million, you can kiss a part three idea goodbye. But I'll tell you this too, on the opposite side of the spectrum, if Fast X does join the billion dollar club, which I think it has a very good shot of doing, we'll see. I mean, soft early ticket sales and all, but if Fast X makes over a billion dollars, you're going to hear an announcement real fast that Fast X 3 is definitely going to be on the production schedule. So whether they do it or not, not really sure. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Vin Diesel is dropping hints that they might do a third Fast X movie after this first one comes out. They're going to do a second one. Now they're talking about a third. Good idea, bad idea. Do you think it makes sense from a business point of view? Maybe creatively you think the Fast and Furious franchise has run out of gas. <laughs> See what I did there? What, no courtesy laughs? Anyway, hey. whatever you guys think, <laughs> jump down in the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, let's go on to the next thing. We are just now less than a month away, uh, just a few weeks away, really, from the opening of the brand new Transformers movies, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, this time being directed by David Kappel. I think that's how you say his last name, Kappel. He directed Creed 2, did a very good job on Creed 2, by the way. And we've got this new Transformers movie, the latest trailer dropped at CinemaCon. And I got to say, the trailer was fantastic. I love seeing that they brought Unicron into it. It looks fun and is exciting. The problem, though, with 
the Transformers trailer looking good is all Transformers trailers look awesome. They've all looked awesome. Every single one. Transformers 1, 2, 3, 4. The trailers are always great. And with the exception of Bumblebee and, and the first Transformers movies, the other one, they always end up sucking. They're terrible. And once again, we've got a new Transformers trailer and it looks great. But will it end up being Bumblebee? Or will it end up being The Last Night? And that we're going to have to find out. Now, attention has now been turned to how will Transformers do? Because remember, the Transformers movies, these are movies that have entries in the Billion Dollar Club. They have, they have, they've been in there. This is a huge franchise with huge box office potential. And now reports have coming out. They're saying, well, the box office opening weekend projection for Transformers Rise of the Beasts, if you're a small little indie film, are pretty good, but if you're a major tentpole film, they're not so good. As of right now, Rise of the Beast, box office pros projecting that Rise of the Beast is only going to make in the neighborhood of 30 to $40 million. 30 to $40 million for Transformers Rise of the Beast. Now, let's look at how that compares to the opening weekends of the other Transformers movies. So, of course, the first Transformers movie made $70.5 million. Revenge of the Fallen had an opening weekend of 109 million. Dark of the Moon had an opening weekend of 98. Age of Extinction had an opening weekend of 100 million dollars. And then at that point, movie fans just said, "We have we're done. We're done with Transformers movies because the next movie that came out, <laughs> the Mark Wahlberg led Transformers The Last Night had an opening weekend of 44.6 million dollars, which led to Bumble because everybody had given up on Transformers. And then the next Transformers movie, Bumblebee, which is fantastic, but it only ended up having a $21 million opening weekend. And I believe it went on to make 300 and something million, made less than 400, or it might have made 400 on the nose. Jen, can you look that up? How much did the movie Bumblebee make worldwide? I can't remember. At any rate. But let's look at what kind of led up to that. It's not surprising that this movie is right now projecting to make 30 to $40 million. Because let's go back two movies before Bumblebee. We had Transformers Age of Extinction. Look at these ratings. 17% critic rating, 50% audience rating. And remember, that 50% audience rating is coming from audience members who are predisposed to enjoying Transformers movies. So that led us to the next Transformers movie, which was Transformers The Last Night, did even worse. 16% critic rating, 43% audience rating. So we saw the movie that paid the price for those failures, those bad movies. The movie that paid the price for those bad movies was Bumblebee. Because mm -hmm. Bumblebee only had a $21 million opening weekend. But look at what happened with Bumblebee. 91% audience rating, 74% or 91% critic rating, 74% audience rating 467 million worldwide 467 so it made a little bit more than i thought on a 21 million dollar opening on a 21 million dollar opening went on to do that and the movie was great so i think when we go back to this chart here and we see rise of the beast is trending a little higher than bumblebee did because bumblebee had a 21 million dollar opening rise of the beast is trending for 30 to 40 million dollars it's raised it's trending a little higher because bumblebee was excellent it was fantastic now, look, I still believe that it was kind of a mistake for Paramount and Hasbro to go with another Transformers. I really thought they should have done Bumblebee Part 2. 
People loved Bumblebee. They should have done that. They should have brought, uh, what's the name of the actress in, in Bumblebee? Haley. Haley Steinfeld. They should have brought her back. They should have done whatever. They should have brought the director of Kubo and the Two Strings back again. I really thought there was a missed opportunity to follow up with that and build on that momentum. They went back to another Transformers movie. And while I hope this one is much better than a lot of the other Transformers movies, the reality is, I think, to a lot of audience members, is that from the trailers, it just looks like another Michael Bay Transformers movie. Now, hopefully it won't be just another Michael Bay Transformers movie. But I think maybe on the surface to a lot of average fans, that's kind of what it looks like. So I don't know. Like, Jonathan, you're seeing this 30 to $40 million opening weekend. This is a $200 million film. What do you attribute this to? I mean, I think people are just tired of this franchise. They fool me five times. You know, <laughs> and times. you know, there's there's an old saying in investing: the trend is your friend. And mm. this trend here, that's showing you a, it, it it plateaued and it has petered out. It's lost steam. So this 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 projection does not surprise me in the least. Um, the only thing that saves me about this movie is that it's a prequel, and I kind of like that it's got like the early '90s vibe to it. Right. But I think another thing about it is, well, if this is a prequel. We know everything's going to be fine. But because... are they are they going to adhere to canon? I'm not so sure that these Transformers movies are going to adhere to canon necessarily. True. So maybe yes, maybe no. The one I see, I agree with you, but the one thing that I do have hope for is that, you know, Bumblebee was great. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing that this movie is going to have a bigger opening weekend than Bumblebee did because Bumblebee was great. What Paramount is hoping now is that hopefully the audience thinks Rise of the Beasts is great. And if so, that can build some momentum so maybe they can go and do another movie after this that does even better. But that's all going to depend on how good or bad this Rise of the Beast movie is. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Transformers Rise of the Beast is right now only projected to have a 30 to $40 million opening weekend. That's not great for a budgeted movie of $200 million. Do you think the movie's going to be any good? Are you excited to see the movie? I have to admit, even though I hated most Transformers movies... I'm pretty excited to see Unicron in this one. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to this. Superman Legacy is a movie I'm looking forward to for so many different reasons. Besides the fact that Superman is the granddaddy of all superheroes. And I love superheroes. Uh, I love Superman. I love almost all Superman movies. Hell, I'll even watch the Richard Pryor Superman 3, where <laughs> Superman literally fights a computer that wraps him up in wires. It still traumatized oh. me as a kid. I, I No, absolutely. As a kid, absolutely. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, the computer's going to kill Superman. It's like, still, so utterly ridiculous. Yeah. That being said, so besides the fact that just I love Superman, it's going to be the first film in the new James Gunn, Peter Safran-led DCEU with Superman Legacy. Now, that comes out in 2025. Apparently, they're going to start shooting it near the end of this year. So everything's good. I'm very excited about it. But obviously, the question that starts floating around with film fans is, who's going to be Superman? Now, you're coming off my favorite Superman of all time, Henry Cavill. Henry's my boy. I'm still, listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm still kind of upset that Henry Cavill's not going to be Superman anymore. I get it. I understand the need for change. I understand all of that. I totally do. I'm okay with it. I've come to accept it. But it is difficult for me because I love Henry Cavill as Superman so much. But that being said, we're going to get a new Superman. Everybody's asking who's going to be Superman. Well, there's a new report that's come out of The Hollywood Reporter that is su suggesting that there's actually kind of a short list now for Superman. 
Bit of a shortlist for Lois Lane, but also suggesting that we might have our new Lex Luthor. Now, as far as Superman goes, this is what The Hollywood Reporter says. They're saying David Cornsweet, who recently played the ill-fated projectionist opposite Mia Goth in Pearl, is among the top contenders to play Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman. But they're saying there are other contenders as well. Uh, Jacob L. Lordy, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, the sought-after star who broke out as the resident villain on HBO's series Euphoria. Uh, that's another guy named. But also Tom Brittany and actor Andrew Richardson are also names that are early in the mix. As far as Lois Lane goes, they've got a few names up there. Emma McKay is up there, uh, a few others. But here's the one that really gets my attention here. Samara Weaving. I love her. Now, like most of you, I kind of first, what was the name of that little horror movie she did where um, they ended up killing everybody? Like they brought her to marry their son and she was meant to be a human sacrifice. It was just out like a year ago. I can't remember the name of it now. But Samara, which everybody thought when they saw the trailers and the poster for that movie, everybody thought that she was Barbie. Right. Ready or not. Margot, ready or not. Thank you. That's the name of the movie. Everybody saw, everybody thought that she was Margot Robbie. I mean. I mean, I even thought the first time I saw the trailer for Ready or Not, I thought it was Margot Robbie. But it's not. It's Samara Weaving, and she's turned out to be great. I even do like her small appearance in Scream 6, and they're talking about maybe her as um, Lois Lane, which I got to tell you, I would really, I think she'd be a great Lois Lane. But here's the one that they suggest might be a little bit more in the bag, at least according to The Hall Reporter. They're saying this, that one of the roles uh, seems to have only one person earmarked as the classic villain Lex Luthor, and that's Nicholas Holt, currently starring in the vampire thriller Renfield, has been tipped to play the bald-headed evil genius. Now, they go on to say that Holt's name has actually been circulating around for a while connected to this movie. And then Nicholas Holt could end up being that. Now, look, Nicholas Holt is actually a little bit of a DC darling right now because although I'm sure some of you may not remember this, but when they were casting for the new Batman with Matt Reeves' Batman, uh, it came down to Twilight Boy, Robert Pattinson. (laughs) But the other guy was down between was Robert Pattinson and Nicholas Holt. So he came this close to being DC's Batman and obviously... Nicholas Holt has stayed on DC's Christmas card list. And in case you're not really familiar, let's do a little bit of a refresher. Nicholas Holt is already, at his young age, accumulated a really nice resume. And he's great in all of these. About a boy, boy. <laughs> about a boy, boy. A lot of you forget, he's the kid <laughs> in About a Boy. But he's great in Renfield. I love him in Renfield. He's fantastic in the menu. And if you guys have not seen Ray Fiennes' The Menu, you absolutely got to check it out. Anya Taylor-Joy's in that as well. Fantastic movie. Nicholas Cage, is, uh, Cage uh, Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Holt is great in it. Warm Bodies is really the movie for me that I went, this guy's really good. If you haven't seen it, it's kind of a romance zombie movie. <laughs> but if you haven't seen Warm Bodies, I highly recommend it. It's great. Of course, he played Hank McCoy in a couple of X-Men movies, including X-Men Days of Future Past and X-Men First Class. He was in Tolkien, which I think is a highly underrated movie. I mean, it didn't get the best reviews and everything, but I actually thought the movie was quite solid. Mad Max Fury Road is where a lot of people got excited about him. Of course, he was the kid in about a boy. He's got a terrific resume. He's an absolutely fantastic actor. And I will tell you what. I don't know. I don't think Nicholas Holt 
has to be Lex Luthor. But if they do cast him as Lex Luthor, that's a win. I Now, look, do I think he's the only guy who could play it? No, I'm sure there are other actors who would be great in it as well. I never would have thought of Nicholas Holt off the top of my head as, as maybe being a Lex Luthor. But I think he would be fantastic. So much so that normally I would say that you got to get your lead character first and then you cast around the lead character, right? Like you get your lead and then once you've got your lead, in this case, Superman, then you start screen testing other actors for other roles and screen test them with your Superman actor to make sure that the chemistry is good. But I like Nicholas Holt so much as a performer, as an actor, that I would even go so far as to say, you know what, if you start with him, I'm totally cool with starting with him and then screen test your potential Superman against him. Mm-hmm. And then normally, I don't think that's the way to go. Normally, I think you start with the with the title character and the title name, and, and then you go from there. I don't know, Jonathan, what do you think about, you like Nicholas Holt? Do you think he would make an interesting Lex Luthor? I think he would. Um, I'm getting like these echoes of our, our last... Uh rendition of Lex Luthor and and I you know I love uh, uh who, why am I drawing a blank on the last Lex Luthor the actor uh, Jesse Eisenberg Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg, Eisenberg great Thanks, actor right. and I, I love his work but the direction I just felt was like a little strange so I'm I'm kind of ready for someone in that same age group because I, I like where they were going with that but just not as like kooky I, right. I really hope this is a little more of a straight lace like take on him it, it will be interesting to see really not just who they get to it, but what kind of character they're going to make their Lex Luthor. Because you're right, Eisenberg played a very different kind of Lex Luthor. Like a, a, a totally different type of Lex Luthor. I mean, they wanted uh, Brian uh, uh, from Breaking Bad. Why am I Cranston? Cranston. What's that, Cranston? They, a lot of people wanted Brian Cranston in the Zack Snyder. And he would have been a great Lex Luthor. Sure. But, but the thing was, once we saw on screen what kind of Lex Luthor that Zack Snyder had in mind. Listen, I like Brian Cranston as an actor more than I like Jesse Eisenberg as an actor. Uh-huh. But once we saw on screen what kind of Lex Luthor yeah. they were going for, it's like, well, you know what? Brian Cranston wouldn't have been a good fit. Jesse Eisenberg actually worked better for that and because that's the way it was written. So it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of Lex Luthor they have written up for James Gunn's Superman Legacy coming out in 2025. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Not just Nicholas Holt potentially as being maybe the only guy they're looking at for Lex Luthor. What did you think about some of the other names that are up for Superman? It could be any of those names. Could be anybody else. I almost said Lana Lang. Lois Lane. Do you like any of the actresses they listed? Maybe you got somebody else in mind. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to this. All right, guys, it's now time for our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. If you guys have a question for the show and you'd like to hear your voice on our video, go ahead and call the hotline number anytime, 24-7 at 951-268-4259. And we'll select one or two every single day. And today's is talking about the upcoming opens this week, the new remake of White Men Can't Jump. Check it out. Hey, John McCrew, my name is Sean Fleming. I'm calling from Ligon, Nebraska. And I came across this just recently. I was watching WWE SmackDown, and I saw a preview for a remake of White Man Can't Jump. When was this made, and whose bright idea was this? 
These remakes are getting out of hand, in my opinion. I mean, it could have been a sequel or maybe just never done it at all. I mean, what other classic movies are going to remake and ruin? I don't know. What do you guys think? And bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And look, yeah, there's the remake for White Men Can't Jump is coming out this week. I believe it's a Hulu. I believe it's a, it's a Hulu original coming out. And I had several moments of what's happening here uh, when this came out, because not only was I, th I thought the choice to remake white man can't jump was an interesting one. Now, while many people consider like the original Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson one kind of a classic, the reality is that movie was like never super successful. I mean, it was, it, it's, it's gained a cult falling over the years. Everybody does know the film. Sure. But I thought it was an odd choice to do a remake of that particular movie. But then I also did a double take, and yeah, I'm, I'm showing my age here, when they announced it's going to be Jack Harlow's first film. I guess I was, I'm going to be honest with you, man, I'm going to date myself so much here, I'm going to be honest with you. Until this news came out about this movie, I had never heard of Jack Harlow. Now, I, I know, I later found out he even did a music video with Drake, good Canadian kid, by the way, all that kind of stuff. Now, it's perfectly fine, because I will bet you $100 that Jack Harlow has never heard of me. So it's perfectly good. But I, I had never even heard of Harlow before that. I mean, Ray, did you know who Jack yeah, Harlow was? Yeah, yeah. So I'm really out of the loop. He's been dropping that. tracks on uh, the NBA 2K games. So it, yeah. Really? Yeah. So he's in there too? Yeah. How long has he been around that uh, I've like kind of... I, I have no idea. A lot of these uh, artists... Uh, through playing a video game, I'll be like, this is pretty good. And then I'll look it up. And then that's how I'm introduced. So aren't you also friends with Draymond Green on yeah. NBA 2K? Yeah, Draymond. <laughs> He'll be on uh, 2K a lot more now, huh? I'm so, uh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I Now that he's out of the playoffs. So I, I had never heard of it. So look, I'm going to be honest with you. I saw the, I've watched the trailers. And we, we talked about the trailer for White Man Can't Jump when it first dropped. It looks awful. I mean, it, it, it looks terrible. Now, look, we have all seen many bad trailers to very good movies, right? There, there are many times we see a movie and it's really good and it, and it had a bad trailer. So maybe that'll be the case here. Maybe this White Man Can't Jump remake on Hulu is going to be great. Maybe it is. I'm only saying that the trailer was completely awful. And if I did have any interest in watching this movie before, which I didn't, to be honest, I really didn't have any interest in watching it once the trailer came out. But, you know, our caller brings up a question that we hear talked a lot about a lot. And we reference and talk about on this, on, on our channel a lot, which is, are all remakes just a waste of time? Do they ruin, our caller asks, ruin the original movie? And I've always had a very minority opinion on this. Remakes, to me, can be great. As a matter of fact, I mean, look at this list. And these aren't even old. Some of these are really quite new. True Grit, I believe, is a better version than the original John Wayne. Yeah, I said it. It's, a, it's better than the original. The Departed won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. That was a remake. Ocean's Eleven, George Clooney's movies were better than um, Frank Sinatra's. The Magnificent Seven, while not better than the original Seven Samurai, is one of the great remakes of all time. Everybody forgets that John Carpenter's The Thing was a remake. The Fly with Jeff Goldblum was a remake. Just recently, Denis Villeneuve's Dune, far superior to the original movie. 
Now, granted, they're also both based on the novel, but still, it's a remake of the movie. Much, much better. I thought the Daniel Craig Casino Royale was much better than the original. Aladdin, which we just talked about a little bit earlier. Now, I don't think Aladdin was better than the Robin Williams animated masterpiece. Obviously, I think the the original animated one is better, but it was fantastic. Huge critic scores, audience scores, may join the billion-dollar club. Uh, I think with the remakes... Um, sometimes they are necessary to me because I'm, you know, I'm the type of watcher where I say I don't like the old stuff. That's that's why I've been holding off on the original Star Wars trilogy because I kind of like the newer like effects and things like that. So, but they bring notice to the older movies sometimes because when you get a generation gap and then that generation has never heard of the movie, sometimes you need a remake to bring notice to the movie. I that's think. exactly true because we've talked about on the, on the show before. There have been studies that have shown, like you know, how many people heard of Infernal Affairs before the before um, uh, the Departed came out? Almost nobody. Only people who like kind of paid attention to foreign film and stuff like that. The Departed came out, and all of a sudden, a whole lot of movie fans knew about Infernal Affairs. Studies have shown that when a remake to a movie comes out attention to the original skyrockets they get downloaded more they get viewed more back in the back in the old days they would get rented at blockbuster more i think the time gap is very important that's what it is if it's really close to the original then it doesn't make sense to me but if there's a lot of time that's passed in between of course we're gonna we're gonna want a remake of everything well, I, mean, <laughs> I always ask like i have a couple of criteria for me which is will a retelling benefit from a modern context Will the retelling benefit from modern filmmaking techniques, not just CGI, mm -hmm. but, but other things like that, right? And, you know, can it find an audience with the original? Look, to me, remakes can suck, but original movies can suck too, right? So it's, it's look, and, and here's the thing too. If they do a remake and it's awful, who cares? Like our caller said, they are going to ruin the original. It never ruins the original. The original is still there and still great. One movie from each of us. What do you want to see remade right now? Mine? Robot jocks. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. With all the effects they have now, seeing guys uh, control mechs and fight would be awesome. That's I always liked a rent of that movie, even though I didn't understand it because it was too like sci-fi. That, that is one that could absolutely benefit from, uh, from a week. Uh, here's mine. The one that you need to remake today, Megaforce. Megaforce, which was a poor man's G.I. Joe. I get it. This movie came out in the 80s. Life is like a wheel. It all comes around. The hero, <laughs> the main guy, the main guy in Megaforce, his name was literally Ace. That was okay. his name. And uh, it was basically like it's an internet. It's, it's an anti-terrorism group that's put together by the international community. And they had all these advanced weapons and stuff like that. Mm. Basically, again, they were poor man's G.I. Joe. Jonathan, you got a movie that you think they should remake? Yeah. The Last Starfighter. Absolutely. What? OK, I, I changed. You changed my mind. I totally take back my thing. I win. I, oh, my God. I totally take back Megaforce a little. I do want to see a remake of Megaforce. Last Starfighter is one they should Great in a modern context, the way video games are super popular today. Totally benefit from modern filmmaking techniques. That last, I almost said The Last Jedi. The <laughs> Last Starfighter. Well, maybe they should remake The Last Jedi too. But The Last Starfighter <laughs> is definitely one they should 100% remake. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about the looks of this White Men Can't Jump remake? And, and generally, what are your thoughts about remakes in general? Do you have a film that you think should really get the remake treatment. Whatever you guys think about this, jump down to the comment section below 
and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, that down. Let's move on to this, shall we? Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, ExpressVPN. Guys, it is 2023 and online privacy and security has never been more important. You see, every device, phones, computers, tablets has a unique IP address, which is like an internet phone number and reveals personal information about you. It's super simple for somebody online who knows what they're doing to find your IP address. If you've ever clicked on a sketchy link or opened an email from somebody you don't know, your IP address could become exposed. Now that's where ExpressVPN has your back. ExpressVPN is an app that hides your real IP address and replaces it with a dummy one, keeping you safe and private. And you don't have to be some kind of techie to use a VPN. Guys, it is so easy to use. Just download the ExpressVPN app on your phone or computer, tap one button to turn it on, and you're protected. And if you like your streaming entertainment, here's the coolest part. They let you choose what country you want your IP address to look like it's coming from. This is incredibly useful because services like Netflix and Disney Plus give you different shows depending on what what country you're in. So secure your family's online activity and unlock tons of new shows by visiting expressvpn.com slash campia. Use my link and you can get three extra months free. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash campia. Go to expressvpn.com slash campia to learn more. This video is sponsored by Helix Sleep. Their Memorial Day sale is running now, and it's a great time to upgrade your mattress. You can get 25% off your purchase for a limited time. Check out the Helix site for more details. Guys, Helix Sleep offers the best premium mattresses, custom fit to your needs, conveniently shipped right to your door. And in case you're not 100% sure which mattress is best for you, Helix Sleep's quiz matches you to the perfect mattress based on your body type and sleep preferences. Guys, you know Ann and I have had our Helix mattress for almost a year and even when we go to Las Vegas and stay in these beautiful hotel rooms we can't wait to get home to get a great night's sleep in our Helix mattress. The mattress comes rolled up in a box and is easy to set up and there's even a hundred night sleep trial to test the mattress out to ensure that you love it. And good news Helix is having a great Memorial Day sale that goes from May 15th to June 4th. Visit helixsleep.com campia to get 25% off your Helix mattress plus two free pillows during their Memorial Memorial Day sale running now for a limited time. So let's now move on and start taking your questions. And we're taking questions from our beloved channel members. If you guys are channel members, every day before we start recording our videos in the podcast, we put up a post in the community tab on the YouTube channel, just asking if you guys are channel members, drop in a question. So Jonathan, what are our channel members asking today? All right, first up, we've got Zelda Master 702 who writes, how do you feel, uh, how do you and the panel feel uh, the first day in the podcast mode? Uh, do you feel more well-rested? Did it change the dynamic of how you went about your presentation during filming? I'm certainly looking forward to listening to it later when it drops. I mean, thanks a lot for the question. It's, I mean, look, it's going to take us probably at least the first full week to get used to this new style. I mean, we come in and we start recording the segments right away. I mean, you know, there's no longer a live show other than open mics and ask me anything's and open spoiler discussions. Those are also going to be live. Um, so we're recording the seven segments individually. It's actually kind of nice because instead of having to sit down, say go, and now you're in go mode for two hours straight, we we're able to put more prep and preparation, get our ducks in a row and do our individual segments, get those up, upload and stuff like that. So, and today's the first day of us doing it so far, so good, but let's see how we really feel about it at the end of the week. All right, what's next? 
All right, next up, we've got uh, Nolan Drash who writes, are there any movies in June that you plan on doing open spoiler discussions for? I mean, probably a couple. Let me take, let me take one second here. There is and, Across the Spider-Verse. Well, I mean, absolutely Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That 100% we're gonna be doing Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Let me just bring up the June release date calendar because I never know things off the top of my head. Okay, so Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is definitely one we'll do an open spoiler discussion for uh let's see what else is opening here oh indiana jones and the because indiana jones comes out in june yes yes i believe it does indiana jones and the dial of destiny is definitely one we'll do an open spoiler discussion for and you know what maybe against my better judgment but we'll probably do one for transformers just because i'm a transformers guy oh well the flash obviously oh and obviously the flash so yeah we're we're actually probably gonna have like four Open spoiler discussions coming in the month of June. That's a really good. I've totally forgot about that. All right. What's next? All right. Well, talking about The Flash, we've got uh, Chris Harden who writes, Hey, John and crew, how do you think The Flash will do at the box office? Thanks for the awesome content. It's so hard to say. Because on the one hand, the movie is fantastic. I loved it. Um, Everybody I know who has seen it has loved it. So that's great. So it's getting all this great positive word of mouth. The trailers have been fantastic. However, on the other side of the fence is all the Ezra Miller controversy. Um, the very fact that DC movies have really struggled. Again, Black Adam didn't even cross $400 million. Shazam didn't even make $200 million. People have kind of become disinterested in you know the DCU the way it is. So here's hoping once they relaunch it in 2025. So I honestly have no idea. I won't be surprised if it makes 70 million opening weekend and I won't be surprised if it makes 170 million opening weekend. So I am, I I'm fascinated. Let's just say that I am absolutely fascinated to find out how this movie actually does. All right. What's next. All right. Callum writes, uh, Hey crew thoughts on the season of succession. I think it could be the best finale season in TV history. I have, I mean, they haven't, the show's not done. Is it? I am. I'm like three episodes behind. Okay, I'm still like three episodes behind on Succession. I think I'm up to episode five. Anyway, the show is great. And it might be the best season yet. It might absolutely be the best season yet. And you know what? A lot of people were disappointed. I get it when they said this is going to be the final season. But why not? I mean, go out on this big, big high note. And, and you know what? I'll say this too. As awesome as this show is, I think if they keep doing it, some of the things that make it great might start getting a little tired. So maybe this is the right time to, but yeah, right now I think it's been the best season they've had so far. All right, what's next? All right, uh, Keon Jenkins writes, Hey crew, after seeing the latest Transformers trailer at the movies, it looks fun, but with so many other good films being released around them, I can't help but think um, that they're going to bomb. What are your thoughts, predictions? Well, look, traditionally summer movie season has a lot of big movies, right? And the fact that people are on, like kids are on summer vacation and that's just the time of year people want to go. There's a, there's a lot of business to go around. That being said, with the fact that Transformers right now is only projected right now to make 30 to 40 million opening weekend, but that number could go up as we get closer to the release date. Um, the movie's going to have to be awesome because you're right. It's going to start with a small opening weekend, relatively small opening weekend. It's got all the baggage of it about Michael Bay Transformers on it. And then on top of that, it is going to face a lot of competition. So if you add to those negatives, 
a mediocre or bad movie, it's going to really tank. But if it's great and, and, you know, really good positive word of mouth gets out about it, it could do well. Again, remember, Bumblebee made $21 million opening weekend, right? And it went on to make, like, I think Ray told me it was like $460 million or something like that on a $21 million opening weekend. So there is hope. I will say that. There is hope for Transformers. All right. What's next? All right. Well, we were talking about Superman earlier. Brandon Salad wants to know, uh, hi, crew, what is your favorite iteration of Superman? And what are you hoping to see when Superman Legacy releases? I mean, my favorite iteration of Superman is Henry Cavill. I also, I mean, obviously, I love the classic Christopher Reeve, yes, and I loved Brandon Routh. I really did. I loved Brandon Routh as Superman. I think Superman Returns, Brandon Routh's Superman movie, was a really good movie, just not a really good comic book movie. And we, we've gone into that before. But, but honestly, yeah, Henry Cavill is my absolute favorite. Uh, that's why I'm kind of bummed out. Look, what am I looking forward to in a new Superman? I really don't care. All I want, I don't, I don't need James Gunn to make the kind of Superman movie I want him to make. I just want him to make the best movie he can in whatever style he wants, because quality trumps everything else. So I'm very open-minded about what they can do with this new Superman. I'm very open-minded. As long as it's done with excellent quality, that's all I really care about. And so far, James Gunn has given me no reason to believe that he can't deliver that. Yeah. For, for me, like Henry Cavill was... Uh... It, but I haven't seen my favorite Superman yet. I haven't seen it. Yet. Well, that's a, that's a new you know, way to I mean, put it. I haven't saying, seen my favorite Superman yet. Yeah, like so it. It, it's still to come because I need to care about this character. I thought Henry Cavill, if he's given a second movie, I was that close to actually wanting you know care about this character. But it's just not. It's just not yet. He's too alien for me right now. All right. What's next? All right, James Desio writes, uh, do you think it's possible for new studios to gain massive, massive success and growth, or is the space too tight now? Is A24 our last big new studio? They started as distribution, but now they produce a large fraction um, of their own content. Um, here's the thing. 95% of the movie-going audience is never even aware of what studio made the movie they're walking in to see, right? They don't care. Ask, ask the average film fan, hey, what studio made everything everywhere at all at once? They won't be able to say A24. They, the, they don't care. So the problem is you need a, the scientific, the, the term the economists use is shit ton. You need a shit ton of money to run a studio. Like an unimaginable amount of money to do it. That is the bigger hurdle then say it's already a crowded space. It's not really that crowded of a space. You know, I mean, I don't think anybody can name off the top of their head 15 studios. At least very few people can. It, there's room. All you got to do is put out great movies. I say that as if it's simple. All you got to do, but what you got to do, you put out great movies. If you can get a big enough bankroll and you can do it right and you hire the right talent and the right executives and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there is room for a new breakout studio. There absolutely is. And um, whether that happens, I don't know. Because like Disney, uh, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal, these studios have been around for a long time. So a couple of them are celebrating their 100-year anniversaries this year. So, but yes, there's definitely room for it if you got the cash. 
All right, what's next? All right, Dad Jokes is next. They write, uh, I was hoping that Nebula and Peter actually became a couple in Guardians 3 as a twist and as a result of him building a relationship with Nebula and her becoming the person she became throughout her arch uh, over the Gu uh, Guardians 1 and all the preceding movies till now. Um, no, no. I Because here's the thing. I thought I think it would have been very, very jarring if out of nowhere they had Star-Lord and Nebula become a couple because nowhere... In Guardians 1, in Guardians 2, in Infinity War, and nowhere in any of the movies was there any even slightest inkling that there was any kind of a spark between the two of them. Like, ever. Like, nothing even close to that. So, to me, not only would that have just not felt natural at all and shoehorned in, it would have, I just generally don't like romances in comic book movies anyway, with, with a couple of very, very few except, exceptions. Druig and Makari, uh, Peter and uh, not even Mary Jane, but Peter and uh, 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 Gwen, mm -hmm. Peter and Gwen, Tony and Pepper. So out of like the hundred comic book movies, there's like three or four examples of ones of romances in these movies that I actually like. So it's, it's very, very rare. Um, yeah. You either go, no romantic thing or you hook Peter and uh, Gamora back up. But no, I think it was a hundred percent the right decision not to try to shoehorn and very awkwardly force in a Nebula Peter romance. So I'm glad they didn't do yeah, that. And it opened the door for that great joke on the lift where she's like, right. Just don't some people, some people haven't watched the movie yet. Well, that was in the trailer. Oh yeah. Oh, it was. You're right. You're yeah. right. Thank you. See, I shouldn't have known. I shouldn't have doubted you, Jonathan. All right. <laughs> no, I'm not going to give anything from that. Um, all right. Um, next up, we've got uh, Gannon who writes, "Hey, all, are you excited for Wes Anderson's new film, Asteroid City? The trailer didn't do a lot for me, but I'm still looking forward to it." You, you know, you just put it exactly way I feel. I'm intrigued because it's Wes Anderson, but I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't like the trailer at all. Like, no, if if the name. Wes Anderson wasn't on the trailer. I would have seen that trailer for one time and immediately put it out of my head. I, I don't, I just didn't find anything interesting about the trailer whatsoever, but you can listen, uh, life aquatic with Steve Zizou. Was that the, was that the name of life aquatic? Life aquatic. Yeah. 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 Uh, same thing. I hated the trailers to life aquatic and I love that movie. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll say I'm interested in Nashville uh, city. I, I've never, thought i would be excited for a wes anderson movie just because i know his style i've seen it even isle of dogs i was like eh, i don't know i, I, yeah, didn't, I didn't like isle i of didn't dogs end up much. watching it uh, maybe i should but this one for some reason it's so weird and so mysterious and plus it takes place on where an <laughs> asteroid <laughs> yep. supposedly, supposedly yeah that that part got me looking that way yeah and then after CinemaCon, i'm like so interested in this movie but i don't know if i'm excited i'm just interested in seeing what it it's about so I, i've never seen a, a movie of his maybe i'm in for oh, the he, best thing ever or the oh my god they're I definitely getting like almost uh meta it's becoming like a wes anderson made a wes anderson made a wes anderson film yeah it's yeah, like it getting is. boiled down i mean the french dispatch was a little like i can't just recommend that to anybody unless they're really big wes anderson yeah, fans. i wasn't really i mean i didn't dislike uh french dispatch i liked but it like, but it's not one you start with yeah, no. You know what's a good a good start one, I think? Royal Tannenbaums. Yes. I think that's a really good, if you want to go on a Wes Anderson journey, I yeah. think that's a really good one to start mm -hmm. with. Yeah, I All agree. Right, what's next? Okay, so this one's about the Transformers. Johnny Wiener writes, do you think the Transformers Rise of the Beast and Bumblebee are in the same continuity as the rest of the previous uh, Transformers films? I 
think it is. Are they? I think they're saying that this takes place several years after the Bumblebee movie. Mm-hmm. I oh, think. oh, okay. I thought he was asking about if it's connected to Michael Bay's. Well, all, any of them, but I, really connected, Bumblebee I think, to Mar- Bumblebee. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so I, whether or not it's really connected again, whether it's sort of connected or it's continuity, schmontinuity, or it's like not connected at all. Or, I mean, I don't know. We're going to have to see the movie to really know for sure. So we'll we'll see. I, honestly, to me, it's not that important. But just make the movie I good. I think it's connected to Bumblebee. To Rise Bumblebee. Of the Beast of Bumblebee. I think it will be too. They were driving off on that mission. To yeah. Like or going in peace or something. Yeah, because for those who don't remember, at the end of Bumblebee, he reconnects with Optimus Prime and they go driving off together. So we'll man, see. that made me feel so good seeing that diesel truck in its original <laughs> form. Uh, yeah, it did. Driving yeah. off. Oh, A lot man, of people cheer. Butterflies. Man. Like, Ooh! All right, what's next? Shaky Jake 93 writes, uh, Hey, Smile Farmers, do you think Oppenheimer <laughs> has the potential to be Nolan's best film? Yes. Well, look, any movie he puts out has the potential to be his best film, but I'll tell you what. They showed us some stuff at CinemaCon. We all expected this movie is going to be really good, right? But after we saw the stuff they showed us at CinemaCon, we were like, this has best picture candidate written all over it. I mean, it looks insane. It looks so good. I, I cannot wait to watch the movie. So yes, it has that potential. Did they drop the main theme to Oppenheimer yet? I usually in Nolan's I movies, know. his main theme song is always good. Like for, for a bunch of his movies, I love the Interstellar theme. The uh, one before that, I love the Dun- Dunkirk theme. I love Dunkirk got some great music. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's take a couple more. What's next? Uh, all right. So Michael Gonzalez writes with the with there being rumors of a potential second trailer for the Marvels coming out. Uh, soon, over under 30%, they move up the release date. If, okay, first of all, right now, because when the movie come out, the September? Mar- the Marvels? Can, yeah, the Marvels. Yeah, Look uh, that up for me. I, I want to say September, but maybe it's October. I can't remember off the top of my head. I so I personally think right now is still too early for a first trailer. November 10th. November, okay. So we are still, so we're in May, uh, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. The movie's still six months away. It's too soon for a first trailer. I, I, I was, I like the trailer to the Marvels, but I couldn't understand why they were dropping that trailer so early. It's just wasted energy because the any buzz or momentum or hype that a trailer causes is going to be gone. So I just don't get it. So I would say this: I don't believe there's going to be a second trailer dropping soon like in the next couple of weeks. But if they do, then yeah, I I might be convinced that they might be looking at moving up the release date. If they drop a second, like again, I think six months in advance is too early to drop a first trailer, let alone a second trailer. So we'll see. All right, let's take one more. What's all right from uh, Yulatan. He writes, um, have you been able to watch? We own this city on HBO max. I only discovered this show over the weekend. My friends tell me it's set in the same universe as the wire. No, I'll be honest with you. I've never even heard of the show. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet, but in the same universe as the wire is very interesting. So are there any carryover? I mean, you obviously don't know Jonathan, but I mean, I, I wonder, are there carryover characters from the wire? I mean, how else there, there are some people it, like TV files, like not as opposed to cinephiles. There are TV files out there. There are a lot of people who are major, major television fans that consider The Wire to maybe be the greatest television right. show ever made. I don't think it is, but it's certainly awesome. But a lot of people think The Wire is like maybe the best show ever made. Did Was The Wire, it, was that before Sopranos or was that? Yes, it was before Sopranos. Okay. So 
you would think if they were doing a show that is in the same reality as The Wire that they might have promoted that a little better. I don't know. Maybe they just dropped the ball in promotion, but I've, I've not heard of it myself. All right, guys. With that all down, that'll do it. For today's episode of the John Cabby Show podcast, thank you so much for joining us here today and following the show. Make sure you guys are subscribed to our YouTube channel. We put up videos of all the various segments that we do up there. And thank you again for being subscribers here. Guys, don't forget, we also have a newsletter. Uh, if you keep your eye on the community tab in the YouTube channel, you'll find that we drop links once in a while to our newsletter. Go and subscribe to the newsletter and have all the updates delivered right to your inbox every morning. So guys, that'll do it for us for now. Thanks a lot for joining us. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.